Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back in, everybody, to episode three of the Strictly NFL podcast, covering week two, previewing week three. We got a special guest today, my guy, Schwinny Poo, joining me and Jeff. Schwinn, what is going on, bro? Uh, not much. Just uh, excited to be on this pod, the first time on this pod, and excited, as you can see, for the game of the week, this upcoming week, which is Chargers-Vikings. Yeah. Um, and I tweeted this out today, but like, Anybody that bets on that game has a gambling addiction and needs help. I'm surprised you're not betting it, then. No, I do, I want to <laughs> just. I want to have no skin in the game. I just want to enjoy it for what it is, which is going to be the dumbest game of all time. Yeah. What What about like player props? Like, are you allowed to? Are you allowed to delve there, or do you? Have you can, but then, but it's like it's going to be such a dumb game, right? It's where it's like I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but it'll be like, oh, like. Hawkinson's going to go off in this game or something. And then, like, you'll see, like, the game plan is just going to be to, like, no, we just got to feed Madison out of the No, we got to feed KJ Osborne. That's what we got to give the Brock to. They do love feeding KJ Osborne. I will say that. Yeah. Um, so, like, we talked about player props, uh, potentially money line spreads, whatever you want. That stuff is all on Bet Online. Bet Online is still your number one source for all your betting needs. Latest odds on matchups uh sorry baseball boxing golf and more with match reports on everything continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place all of your wages uh from favorite casino and card games uh all able to put right on your phone so you can head to the website or use the mobile app to sign up today and get in on the action if you sign up remember to use the code believe which is b-l-e-a-v all caps for 50 percent off on your welcome bonus for the first deposit bet online where the game starts second off so as you guys listen to Schwinn's pod, you guys all know the Strickland has a Discord. They have a YouTube. They have a Patreon. They have an Instagram. The Instagram is at the Strick.land. YouTube is nice and simple, at the Strickland. And then for the Patreon, you get the $6 tier, which is access to Schwinn's Strick and Roll, I believe. Correct, Schwinn? That is correct. All right. And you get access to the Strickland Discord. Now, our full podcast can be found behind the $9 tier. And at the end of the podcast, you'll get some lines from all of us this week, usually just me and Jeff, um, and more talk about, you know, not only the Giants and Jets, but everything around the NFL. So without further ado, we're going to start this episode off with my favorite team this time. Gave the Jets a lot of shine, a lot of shine for the first couple episodes, but the Giants had the tie for the biggest comeback in their franchise's history. Down 20 to nothing at halftime, down 28 to 7, midway through the third quarter, and they came back to win 31 28. I just, it was a rough, rough time watching it. <laughs> it was a rough time watching it, man. I was watching it with my dad, who's a Jets fan, and he was just roasting the shit out of me. So I'm glad, glad we pulled through. I'm happy for Daniel Jones because he was getting an absurd amount of flack from the fan base. And uh, yeah, what did you guys think about that? Because I know where I stand on a bunch of stuff. We'll get into it later. Um, I was honestly worried for you at halftime. Like, 
I'll be, I'll be honest. I, uh, oh. we, we got, we got, we got to halftime and some of your texts were a little shaky. Like it, like, am I really gonna be able to do this for 18 weeks if this is what the giants look like? Like you didn't know that, that was what you signed up for. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you talked about last week about how it was a must win and you expected the giants to cover and they didn't cover, but oh. in some ways it was kind of more inspiring for them than maybe like an easy cover where the Cardinals didn't play well. And, you know, like the, the Cardinals give them credit. They played a really good first half. You know, it wasn't just the giants being terrible. The Cardinals surprised a lot of people and did a lot of things well. And, you know, we talk a lot about Brian Dayball and how good a coach he is. And I feel like this was the first time this season he really showed it, you know, cause they get to halftime and, he takes over the play calling and all of a sudden after scoring zero points, the first six quarters of the season, you know, they're moving at every possession. Daniel Jones looks like himself again. And, you know, you never want to get too low, never want to get too high. This was a three point win against the worst team in the NFL, but it looked pretty dour there for, for a minute. And they really, we really needed to see that second half from them. What did, what did you think? Shwen? Um, <clears throat> so, I, I echo your sentiments that I was worried about Khan basically like until the game was over. Uh, got some very interesting texts from him that I was just like, I'm not going to read them on air because I'm just like, I'm not sure we want to encourage any type of <laughs> self injurious behavior to oneself oh on here. Um, but no, I, I will say this like, I think Dable, everybody's going to talk about like the tactical, oh, like look at the adjustments they made. And, and I get that. Obviously, that's very, very important. Um, but I think a big part of coaching and like I saw this with Dable when, when he was in Buffalo is like there's kind of an emotional temperament to coaching. And I don't just mean in terms of like commanding the locker room, which, yeah, obviously there is that. And I think he has that obviously like he show he's shown that throughout his career that he does have that um, that kind of like ability to be a leader of men. Right. Um, but like it's one thing. OK, it's so, like as an example. Right. Giants go out, they draft Jalen Hyatt. And we hear about this kid is a burner. He can take the top off of defense, blah, 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 blah. And like, we know last year the giants played offense in a box. It was like, we have to play within 20 yards of the line of scrimmage because we just don't have the, the talent to, to get into a shootout or go up and down, take a bunch of vertical shots and all that type of, we don't have the guys to do that. We don't have the talent to make it happen. So they played a very restrictive scheme. I think, they clearly added more dynamic talent in the passing game this this offseason. And I what I thought is the first two weeks, it really felt like or sorry, I should say for the first so for the first 90 minutes of the yeah. giant season, it felt like Kafka was still calling the plays like it's last year's offense. Yes. It's last year's team and it's last year's talent. And I think like I this actually it's really funny because this actually happened in Buffalo with our defense at one point uh, when McDermott came in, like their second year for the first game and a half, the bills were just getting like, like they scaled 47 in week one to the, the Ravens. They gave up like, I think they had 20, they given up 28 to the chargers or whoever the hell it was in week two and halftime McDermott was like, all right, like I still love you, Leslie Frazier, but like, let's cut the shit. I'm going to call the plays the rest of this game. And like, you could see the difference, right? You're like blitzing. It's more aggressive. I don't think cap a bad, offensive mind. I don't think this is Dable like, you know, taking the play calling from play calling from him permanently. But 
I think in that moment, he was like, look, like, this guy just is not understanding what we, what I want to do and what this talent that we have can do. Right. And, and I think part of that is like, yes, did Daniel Jones miss reads in the first half? Sure. Of course. But I think how you're calling plays probably impacts how he's reading the field or how any quarterback reads the field. Right. If you're calling plays, like we want you to get the rid of the ball within two seconds, like, He's not going to be looking for the Jalen Hyatt deep shot, right? He's not being encouraged to do that. So he's looking for everything underneath. Oh, let me throw it to the back. Let me try and hit this quick out for four yards, right? Like whatever it is, he's not in that mindset. And the team wasn't in that mindset. And I think whatever he did at halftime in terms of rousing the, you know, the, the, the men of the locker room, but like his actual, I, I think the emotional temperament of his play calling, like understanding what, like if we want to be an aggressive team, what does that mean? And understanding that in that moment, I think he recognized like, this is the season here. Like we lose to Arizona. The season is over. This is done. Like we're just playing for individual development at that point. There's no team goals. Like we're not going to make the playoffs. And I think he understood the moment. I think he understood exactly what he needed this offense to start doing to give them a chance. And I think even like the defense fed off of that because it, it really, I mean, the first week, that, that Cowboys game, like initially in the first half, I was like, I don't even think the Giants defense really played that bad. They didn't even have a chance. But like it, it, it can cascade, right? It's hard to like just keep fighting. That is the hardest part is like when things are against you, keep fighting. And I just thought um, Dable really grabbed hold of the situation exactly when he needed to. And, um, yeah, I mean, he, he called a great game. And my only other thought, though, I will say, like, I'm a little, like, I love Wink. I love the the crazy blitzing stuff. But, like, some of that defensive line usage, both, like, in terms of snap counts and just how he's using the, some of these guys is, like, it, it's a little weird, man. Like, I, it, and I think that's part of the reason why the defense has been so, it, it did not look good, right, for long stretches of that game or, or week one, especially in the second half. Yeah, uh, starting off with the offense, that's that's where I'm just going to kind of go off of your thoughts. Like you see with Jeff's little thing right under his name, Jalen Hyatt should be playing pretty much as as the Y. No questions asked. He should be on the opposite boundary of Gary Slayton or Isaiah Hodgins. I, I don't care which one it is, but he has to be out there. His presence on the field changes everything for this team. Uh, credit to Bobby Skinner for this tweet. But he tracked every snap Jalen Hyatt played on offense. When he was on the field and we passed the ball, we averaged 16.5 yards per play. And, oh, sorry, uh, 12 pass plays, and uh, we averaged 16.5 yards per play. Daniel Jones on those plays was 8 for 11 with 183 yards and a rush for 15 yards of his own. And then the four plays that where we didn't really hit on shit was Waller dropping an RPO. Uh, Saquon getting caught in the backfield and Darius Slayton uh, being out of bounds on a pass deep down the field. So you saw it, right? When Dable took over play calling in the second half, I don't even think that there was a big difference in concept, right? We were still doing RPOs. We were still doing a bit of stuff outside of the pocket, but it was a lot more of like, look at Darren Waller because this guy's a freak show and they don't have a linebacker to go over the middle with him. Once that happened, you saw Saquon bust that run that was supposed to go up the middle over to the left to kind of ice the game. And 
not only that, he trusted Jalen Hyatt a lot. Daniel Jones, like he, first of all, first play out of halftime to launch that ball to Jalen Hyatt. That's that's a lot of trust to have a new receiver to do that. Down twenty. Well, apparently, so, they told him that halftime. Like, yeah, like they said at halftime. Like, look, this is the fucking first play. So I, think, I read this I quote. Think Hyatt said to he was like, "Yo, th- throw me the ball." Yeah. Daniel Jones is like, "All right." So yeah, and I, he's like, I saw Hyatt's quote was like, he was just like, I was super excited once they told me. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'd be excited too. But I mean, just real quick, like what you're talking about with Hyatt, like, I mean, Jeff's been on Pontiac a number of times. We talked about Steph all the time on there, right? Like, like the concept of spacing. It, well, Hyatt had two catches for 83 yards in this game, right? Yeah. But like, you could tell as soon as they took that vertical deep shot and they connect on it, like it opened up everything. Waller was had so much more space to operate. All of a sudden, you're getting Saquon ripping off chunk plays. Like it changes how you have to defend them as a team. And that just and like what Jones had what over 50 yards rushing the second half. Like all of that is. I'm not saying it's all because of Jalen Hyatt, but he obviously changed. I think like just how comfortable Arizona could be in terms of just like oh well, we'll just keep everything in front of us, and that's all we have to worry about. And, you know, it's like it's the same thing, right? Kafka's like. Get it. Like, dude, you got this burner. Tell him to go downtown and yeah. tell Daniel Jones, who's like, I mean, his probably his best asset, I think, as a thrower is his deep ball. He's a great deep ball thrower. Um, and yeah, I mean, that throw that 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 throw to start the second half was it's funny, like it's a great throw, but if it was a perfect throw, hi, it's a walking it's, it's dead six. for six. Yeah, six. yeah. Definitely. And also it kind of like the decision to play Hyatt and to sort of let him loose not only changed that game, but it kind of changed the tra- trajectory of the Giants season in the sense of literally like the main thing me and Khan talked about last week regarding the Giants was they're not going to win many games with negative game scripts because they're not built like that. Like they're a low variance. They want to be in, they want to be in front and have, you know, Dable's full playbook at their disposal, but when they're behind and they're more predictable, they don't have the talent to, like, not be exploited by other defenses, at least by smart defenses. And adding a new layer in Hyatt and opening up the passing game so that it's less predictable when passes, when they become one-dimensional, they become a less predictable one-dimensional team all of a sudden you allow yourself to win games that maybe the Giants weren't built to win even a week ago. And the biggest thing for me is, right, we see with Tua, for example, just because that's the first example that comes to mind. Mike McDaniel uses Tyreek and uh, and Jalen Waddell so perfectly that they own the middle of the field every single game they play. And that second half with the way that we use Jalen Hyatt and the way we played Waller off of the concepts that Hyatt was running, I was like, okay, this is a, this is a formula you could take into any team or into any game besides like the Niners, maybe the Cowboys. And I don't know really who else has like the combination of pass rush, uh, pass rush and safeties and linebackers to cover up both of those things. You know, because if you have the linebackers, you don't have the rush. Hyatt's going to burn you no matter who's on him. So that's giving me the most hope, like you said, about the trajectory for our season. When you add that with Saquon hopefully coming back healthy and McKeithen at right guard, who I think played a fantastic game, this is legitimately a formula that, you know, you look at and you're like, okay, we don't have to call up 
a Dable masterclass every single time to get a 12, 15, 20-yard play. You know what I mean? So there's going to be a lot more talent doing the talking instead of Dable having to take the play sheet from Kafka every week. It, you also just need explosives, right? Like the hardest thing in football is trying to – like if you need to construct some awesomely choreographed drive every single time you need to score, it's just impossible to be consistent. Yeah. Um, and so like you need game breakers. And like, you know, I mean you mentioned you mentioned the Dolphins. And honestly, like <laughs> Mike McDaniel being a really good and creative offensive mind is like my personal 9-11. Um, it's terrible. I hate it. I hate that the Dolphins look like they're going to be extremely good this year, and uh, <laughs> that I will have to probably eat a lot of crow about one to two of <laughs> Um But no, I mean, look, they're they're really good. But I do think, like, I mean, it's funny because speed is like simultaneously the trait that gets guys way overdrafted, but it is like super fucking important if yeah. that guy is also a football player. Like, if you just take a guy because he runs fast. It's not going to work out. If he can run fast and he actually understands what he's doing and you understand how to utilize that, it's going to be a big deal. Like, I mean, we haven't really seen this yet in Detroit because Jamison Williams has made some questionable choices and was also injured at the start of last season. But, like, I promise you when that guy is back, like, I don't care if it's Jared Goff back there who, like, you need to, like, coax to throw the ball deep. Their offense is going to be even better. Like than it is right now, and I don't even think they're playing at a super high level yet offensively. But um, like when you have those vertical threats, it just opens up so much for everybody, right? It's it is like having some like an amazing three point shooter that you can't help off of. It's like the opposite of having Josh Hart and RJ Barrett together in a playoff game. Shout out to Tom Thibodeau. We always get our, our little our little Knicks related uh, <laughs> stuff in over here, and I was gonna say like there's really no other position in sports, at least in my opinion, that can get you so overdrafted for one skill. Like, like it's shooting, right? And it's speed yeah. on the boundary. Like, that's that's it, is it not? It's just, it's scary. It's like, def- you never, like a, de- a defense never wants to give up explosives, right? That's like, the, that's the thing that I've never heard, I've never heard a single defensive coordinator be like, yeah, we're comfortable if teams burn us over the top because like, we're going to get 15 sacks or something, you know, like that. It, I've never heard that. I've heard we're, we're we want to dare them to like dink and dunk down the field. Like you hear all that type of stuff. You never hear that. Cause you never, cause who like once a guy's behind your defense, you're, you're screwed, right? Like you're, you're screwed. It, it screws up everything. So um, yeah, look, they, they have a burner now and it's, it's up to them and it's up to Daniel Jones and it's up to, you know, look, let's be real. I'm singing their praises, but like, I thought Evan Neal was not good again in this game. He was okay, definitely better than he was against Dallas, although it would be hard to like to be worse than he was against Dallas. Um and look, getting Glowinski stepping in when he had to, like that guy is brutal. Um, but at least he wasn't as bad. But like I, I still think that Giants offensive line, without Thomas especially, um, you know, you mentioned McEthan, which by the way, awesome name. Great name. Love it. Uh <laughs> But they had a Zudu too, and I think he ended up playing tackle, right? So yeah, left tackle. Isn't that like he's not he's been playing inside, if I remember correctly, prior yeah. to this. So do you think that's something where he's maybe been misprofiled as an interior lineman and you think he might be better suited to playing outside? Um it's tough for me because I think he might be a tweener. Um I think, you know, he obviously had a great game and I don't want to take that away from him, but 
there is a, an element of like, okay, there's no tape on this guy playing tackle. Mm. Um, the only thing that I will say is like a little bit of a saving grace for him is that out of the draft, his big, uh, I guess, sticking point for his for his profile was that he was an athlete and he played every position on the line besides center. So he does have that versatility, and he was teammates with McKeithen at UNC, which is funny. So <laughs> that was, that was real cool. I want to touch on McKeithen because I think he's more of like a potential contributor for this season still. I don't think Neil's losing his job anytime soon, and I'll, I'll get into Neil after McKeithen. McKeithen looked like a not a stud, but he's a, he's an NFL starter as as uh you know as far as that game this week goes. He was good in the run, and he had no miscommunication with Neil and pass pro. If you guys have been listening, you know how much that irks me. You know, as <laughs> as as a former center, when people get their matchups wrong, it drives me bananas. So, I have faith in him to be fine. I'm not going to put some expectation that, you know, he's going to be the glue for our line or anything like that. But with JMS looking the way he did, which, fantastic. Even though it was against the Cardinals, he built off of a decent game against the Cowboys. I just hope Ben Bredesen is healthy because he had a concussion. It looked pretty bad. He dropped on the field. So, that's something to monitor. And I'm just going to finish up with Evan Neal. I... Still don't know what to take away from this game because the Cardinals' D-line, contrary to their O-line, which I thought was really good, their D-line is is absolutely like there's nobody there who, who fucking means anything in the long term. <laughs> so him having a decent game, in my opinion, quote-unquote, you know, the penalties are really killed him today or two days ago. I still don't know what to take away from that because there was no names on that line, you know. So this week we're going to see him probably get – trounced again by Nick Bosa and others against the Niners. So it's we- it's weird like drafting linemen is just the strangest thing to me and I feel like the more I think about it there's just a ton of variance and like just the amount of factors that go into drafting a lineman out of the, out of college when the competition levels fluctuate so much who you play there I just feel like it's impossible to get for anybody, but for linemen specifically, perfectly objective tape where you can be like, oh, this left tackle from Wyoming versus this left tackle from Bama. And, like, we now have two clear examples in Cleveland and in New York of late-round tackles coming out of nowhere and outplaying high first-round, high-caliber guys. I mean – Cleveland's got Dewan Jones, who's been like one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL out of just nowhere. He's outplaying Jedrick Willis on the other side of the line. Like Jedrick he Willis. was pathetic. I'm sorry to cut you off. He was pathetic last night. But go ahead. That, I mean, the the Deshaun Watson fumble was entirely his fault. Like, what, what was yeah. he what was he doing there? Um, and then on but on the other side of the line, you have you have Dewan Jones, who's playing outstanding. He was going up against you know, I mean, Watt was Watt. You're not going to stop T.J. Watt, but like I, I thought and, and you know, the the broadcast thought they, they were very complimentary for the second straight week of Dewan Jones. And then to bring it back in New York, you know, um, McKeithy was a fifth-round pick, you know, out of North Carolina, shout-out. And you got Evan Neal, who's eighth overall pick. And I, Evan Neal can't be getting outplayed by that guy. Like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. unless something's just completely wrong with the system, like – that just shouldn't happen, and it just—it's—it's it's strange to me how often it happens. Yeah, the the big the 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 big problem for Dewan Jones is that um, he went to OSU. He has, a, yeah. he has a one and two record against Michigan. Um, <laughs> but uh, so 
like the thing with this is so weird, right? Because you draft a guy seventh overall, and like he is only at the start of his second year. Obviously, he's had good games in his career. Um, you know, in, in year one, like it wasn't all like, oh my god, this guy the entire year was a disaster. He had good games, but it's not a great start to the season. Um, I do think, like, like again, I I do think he played better against Arizona, which yeah, some of that's like. Yeah, guess what, dude? It's probably nice to not play against like Micah Parsons. Probably a good thing. Um, but like some of it, like I don't like. I, I mean, I, I think I I know you mentioned this, but it looked like in that Dallas game, it honestly just looked like him and Glowinski didn't talk or like had no communication and never knew what the other one was going to do. Whatever was going on against Arizona, like at least that piece of it was better. Obviously, like he had a better understanding of what he was doing. There was not like, you know, rushers just easily twisting and stunting and getting into the, like through that side of the line. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, you just have to, like, the thing is, you, like, you took the guy seventh overall, he's going to keep playing. You have to keep playing him because, like, this it's it, you know this we always do this in like all sports right where it's like oh no come on you just play the guy who gives you the best chance to win it's like yeah dude let me tell you something your GM wants you to keep playing the seventh pick you're gonna keep playing the seventh pick like that's uh, this like maybe next year if he's still struggling then you would think about okay like we just gotta get this guy out of here um, but for right now he's gonna keep playing so it's I, I guess you can say it's a step in the right direction but like I mean this is a huge year for him I think Jeff you mentioned this. Um, when you guys might have been the first pod you guys did, but like this is like there's two tackles in New York who this is a huge year for, and one of them is obviously playing for the Jets right now at right tackle, Mackay Becton. Um, and then the other one is Evan Neal. And like this has not been a good start to what is a big season for Evan Neal. And um, you know, like to be quite honest, like and I, I do think some of this, like some of the struggles on the defensive side of the ball have to do with the wink, which I mentioned earlier, but like it's not been a great start to the season for Kayvon Thibodeau either. Yeah. Um, like these are, these are supposed to be, I mean, you take a fifth guy, a, a guy at fifth and you take a guy at seventh overall in the same draft. Like these are supposed to be franchise cornerstone pieces and they have not lived up to that. I, like I thought Thibodeau last year, I don't know that sack total were not super great, but like his pressure rate was awesome. Like he, he looked like, okay. I was like, okay, this is, this guy's still get there. I don't know what's going on with him this year, but they need that. Like the first 90 minutes of the season, I don't know if I heard his name once. Like, I, I don't actually know if I heard his name. And he came to life a little bit in the second half, but, like, and uh, I, look, I know how this 3-4 wild Baltimore scheme can go. Like, I experienced it in Buffalo, and a lot of times, edge rushers are like, wait, you want me to, like, drop back in coverage on a pass rushing gun? Like, and you start mailing it in, and your energy's not there all the time. I literally watched it with Mario Williams, where he has, like, double-digit sack seasons, Rex Ryan comes in and he's just like, yeah, so we're going to have you and Marcel Darius like drop into coverage sometimes. And it's like, why am I doing that? Like you pay me $500 million to go hit the quarterback. Let me go do that. And so like, there's a give and take there. I think Wink is, he's, he's a little bit too going too crazy with the blitz stuff. And, and I get that that's who he is as a coordinator, but you've got talent on the edge there. Like let them, you know, let let him pin his ears back and go. But also, like it's on Thibodeau, like to be more of an impact player. Like you can't have a game and a half where you're doing nothing, where you're just you're just lining up and getting cardio. It's unacceptable. So 
the Giants definitely need more from that. And and I will say, like, it does look, though, you know, we just shit on, like, the, the 2022 draft class they had there. But it does look like this draft class they've got this year looks like these guys are, are real players. I mean, I know uh, Banks has had some up-and-down moments, but, like, that's normal for a cornerback. I, I don't think that's like outrageous at all, and I think he's looked pretty decent. But, like, you know, Hyatt has looked good, and I just think this class looks at least pretty. I will say, I I would also like them to get Bellinger a little bit more involved, but I understand you have Darren Waller, you're trying to figure stuff out, so that that makes sense. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, it's encouraging, but 31-28 against the Cardinals, I don't know if the Super Bowl is in the future of the season, but, like, (laughs) just play some competitive football. I think this team will end up winning, like, somewhere between around eight games. Um, and I think at the end of the season, even if they don't make the playoffs or if they have a worse record than they did last year, I would be surprised if you're not feeling like, yeah, this team is definitely more talented and better positioned moving forward than they were last season where we miraculously made the playoffs and got the best possible wild card matchup anyone could ask for in Minnesota. Just to, uh, to like put a bow in the, the Evan Neal conversation or to add some, something to it. Um, I will say that I think it's a positive that the worst part of his second half was the penalties because I feel like I feel like outside of penalties you didn't really hear his name much like Jones as we talked about the Giants tried to and successfully opened up the offense more and Jones for the most part had time you know like he he was able to set his feet and make the passes that he wanted to make and so you know that's a sign that Neil was doing his job at least for a half um, penalties are fixable if you're out there and you're, you know, keeping the guys in front of you and giving your quarterback time. I don't know. It's not you still want to fix those mistakes, but to me that's a step in the right direction. I'd, I'd prefer that than, you know, he's not able to stay in front of guys. I think well, that's the, the lesser of two evils. Well, do you remember, like, when the Legion of Boom was there in Seattle? And, like, I mean, this is how Pete Carroll has always coached his cornerbacks, but their basically their strategy was, like, we will just have our cornerbacks grab wide receivers constantly. They're just going to always be holding, and we are going to dare the refs. Like, do you want to throw a penalty on every play? Like, do you want to do that or not? Because you're not going to do it. And I like there is value if somebody at halftime just told Neil, like, stop worrying about your fucking technique and just hold dudes. I don't care. Like, stop getting our quarterback killed. Stop getting blown by. Doesn't matter what you do. If you have to take some penalties, cool. But like, go for it. Because you know what? Go watch Kansas City Chiefs game. They're not going to call holding on every play because they they were they're just not going <laughs> to do it. They're not going to do it. So like, well, there is value. The Chiefs game, they're not going to call anything. Yeah, they're they're, they're, they're going to let a dude stand seven steps behind the the line and just you know, <laughs> yeah, like just like take a machete out, stab somebody. Um, but like, yeah, like it, it just there's value in just holding him. And also, like, look, I think it's also fair to say that you've got. Bellinger, you got Waller, you're playing a lot of 12 personnel. Like, give the guy some help. Like, have Bellinger chip in, you know, like, like, like you can help him out too. So, like, I, I think he's got to be a lot better, obviously. I still think there's hope for him. He, look, the guy's a gigantic human being. Like, that's yeah. 90% of the battle there. Um, but, like, yeah, I, I think the offensive line, you know, some of the play calls could do a little bit more to help him too. Sure.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallin' drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin' wherever you get your podcasts.